Welcome to episode 101 of Paper Talk, a series of podcast interviews featuring artists and professionals who are working in the fields of hand paper making and paper art. I'm Helen Hebert, and I run Helen Hebert Studio, a hand paper making studio in Colorado's Rocky Mountains, where I create artist books and installations. I also host the annual Red Cliff Paper Retreat and paper making masterclasses here in the studio, and I run a membership program called The Paper Year and teach online classes about paper, light, and books, too. Find out more at HelenHebertStudio.com. Today, I'm talking with Simon Arispe, an award-winning pop-up book designer, paper engineer, and illustrator based in Brooklyn, New York. His work received the 2018-2019 Megendorfer Prize, the highest honor in pop-up book design, as well as the Award of Excellence from the Society of Illustrators. A graduate of the Pratt Institute, Arispe worked for over 10 years as the senior paper engineer at several of the top pop-up book studios in the world before opening his own pop-up book studio in 2014. Working on every aspect of pop-up book design, from concept and engineering to mass production and printing on over 35 projects. Arispe has also designed several award-winning holiday cards for the Museum of Modern Art Design Store. In addition to his design work, Arispe is the professor of paper engineering at the Pratt Institute and Parsons School of Design in New York City. Enjoy our conversation. Simon Arispe, welcome to Paper Talk. I hope I didn't butcher Hello. your name. <laughs> no, that was that was perfect. Thank you. Yeah. How yeah. are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm really looking forward to hearing about your journey with paper. And so let's uh, let's start at the beginning, um, wherever the beginning was. Tell me a little bit about <laughs> your your childhood yeah, yeah. and uh, um, where you grew up and what kind of things you did. And yeah, who who am I and where where did I come <laughs> from? Um, yeah, I'm originally from Tucson, Arizona, in the southwest. Um, you know, about 45 minutes from the Mexico border. Um, and that definitely, I would say, um, was a big part of my childhood. Just the desert is all around kind of, you know, you drive out of town pretty quickly and suddenly you're in, in nature and in this very, uh, surreal, uh, landscape. And so I, th- I think that definitely, um, inspired me as a kid, just, just having that around. Did it feel surreal? Cause I went to Tucson. I remember the first time and yeah, mm-hmm. all the cactuses that you, you know, you see pictures of like I had never seen in real life. Well, yeah. All the, like, all the big saguaros and everything. Yeah. I, I think I didn't realize it was surreal until I, I kind of would, you know, we'd visit family out in like um, Massachusetts or, go, you know, go to other places and you're like, Oh yeah, I get it. That, that this mm-hmm. is kind of has this iconic, kind of Martian landscape to it. But um but yeah, growing up in it, I just, I just thought it was normal to see coyotes and javelinas and roadrunners and stuff. right. Yeah. Cool, cool. Did you um, do any kind of art or creative things y- growing up? Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely I've been drawing all my life uh-huh. um and kind of cutting up paper. There's just lots of scraps and things. Um my whole life uh definitely was drawing before I could talk. Um and that's just always been a part of me. I've, I've kept a sketchbook, honestly, since I was like four years old. Um, wow. So there are just volumes of sketchbooks, you know, in my, in my closet of just, uh-huh. yeah, just that, that's kind of, there's, there's me, the speaking person. And then there's also just kind of this running uh, book of ideas that, I, that I'm always kind of working with. Um, oh, and so, right. yeah, I, 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 go ahead. No, I was just going to ask, where do you think that, came from like what were your first sketches like cartoons um, or comics or yeah. i don't know <laughs> uh no i mean i i really liked um i really liked animals and chickens i really okay. just I, there's it's a lot of just um yeah just i was always um like like any little five six seven year old was just like loved the zoo and just loved kind of um nature and the natural world and, and uh-huh. that kind of really hasn't changed like that's still a big part of my um creative practice is just just looking at nature and looking at systems um i think it's maybe gotten a little more complicated than than that but yeah just as a little kid i was just i was just constantly drawing and constantly trying to figure things out um and then even as a as a young adult i was you know 
going to figure drawing class on Saturday just to kind of learn, mm-hmm. you know, I, I kind of knew I wanted to be an artist as I don't know, you know, just that was, uh, I really just hadn't, didn't have any plan B. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're just trying to figure out, you know, what ways to do that and, and how to get there. Um, yeah. And then, uh, through that, uh, my grandfather, my, my mom's dad kind of pointed out that there were colleges you could go to that you, you know, you could specialize. There's something you could specialize in. And if this is your, you're serious about this, yeah, you know, there, there is a wider world and there, there's, you know, ways to do this. Um, and so I was really fortunate to have that, you know, infrastructure in my family of just people saying like, Hey, you can, if you are serious about this, do something with this. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So what did you do? Uh, so yeah, so I, I um, went, I applied to go to Pratt Institute and I was accepted. Uh-huh. Um, and so I ended up going there when I was 18 years old, just dropped off in Brooklyn, New York, where I still live. Um, right. And uh, yeah. And I went and studied uh, illustration. Uh, I was trying to decide between that and uh, industrial design, which is, you know, kind of making objects, making things and, and kind of a, a branch of engineering almost. Yeah. Um, because I did really like that, that all the industrial designers were making things were physically thinking about, you know, what does this glue bottle look like? What is the, how do these scissors function? And I, I really was drawn to this functionality mm-hmm. um, and kind of, um, that really interested me is the, is the 3d world. And so I do think that that I ended up, I do think I ended up kind of, um, uh, just finding a halfway point between illustration and engineering with, with paper engineering, honestly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So while you were at Pratt, did you, you came across the paper engineering course? Yeah. Or- so while I was, at, while I was at Pratt, I somehow fully missed the paper engineering course. Um, oh. you know, I was a, silly young student and just didn't look up at a poster that would have told me about my future (laughs) career. Um, But yeah, a friend of mine uh, named Jess Tice, who is herself a paper engineer um, and she's working over at uh, Papyrus now, um, but she was in one of my classes and she told me that she was an intern at uh, the paper engineering studio, Robert Spuda and Matthew Reinhardt. And I didn't really know that you could be a paper engineer. I it hadn't really occurred to me until this conversation and I just begged her to get me an internship, get me in, not even in a, just an interview. I was just like, I would really love to sweep the floors or whatever they need me to do. Uh-huh. Um, and so, yeah, so we graduated from Pratt at the same time, just, just Tyson myself. And when was and that? That would year? have been in, that would have been in 2006. Okay. So yeah. So I came to, I came to New York in 2002 Mm-hmm. And we graduated in 2006, and I um, got an internship there right after right after college. Oh, cool! Um, and was that uh, how long was that? Was there any formality? I'm kind of interested in internships. Yeah, was it yeah. paid? How long was it? Just some yeah, details. I, I I think internships are are kind of fantastic. Mm-hmm. In, in you know, just in that that is it allows you to get a glimpse into a world into a field for, you know, a short time, Mm -hmm. you know, you really are at the ground level. Um, This one, it was paid. It was, I, you know, I think it was, I don't even remember. It was a very little bit of amount of money at lunch. Uh, And which, which, you know, at the time when you're 22 years old, is is like amazing, you know, and I think it was one one day a week. And um, I would go, the studio was up in, um, on 72nd street in Manhattan. And so, you know, I was all excited. I, you know, Jump on the subway and get get there, and it took an hour to get there, but I was I was just so excited. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I think it it paid. You know, I forget a hundred dollars a day or fifty. I don't remember. It yeah. wasn't it wasn't much, but I was excited. And um, so I worked there for probably about probably about three or four months. Um, mm-hmm. just getting coffee, sweeping the sweeping all the paper scraps off the floor. Um, and a lot of just cutting up like the the studio would have a lot of they'd make a lot of die lines and a lot of like prototypes and so it would be my job to just cut those up so somebody would hand me a piece of cardstock with a bunch of drawings on it and I would you know sit down with a scissors and exacto knife and um, it really helped my hand skills it really helped me become a really dexterous uh, paper 
cutter, you know, as, as yeah. much as that, that sounds silly, but it really was like miles on the miles on the scissors that really helped me. Um, and then eventually after a few months, um, I needed a job, you know, I couldn't, you couldn't quite pay the rent on a, on a, a dollar right. a day. I was, I was also, uh, talking to, uh, another teacher at Pratt who did a chemistry of art class. Uh-huh. And so it was this class where we would study, we would learn how to make frescoes. We would learn how to synthesize dyes and inks. And I really took a, a liking to that as well. So my other path that I was kind of, uh, flirting with would have been, um, you know, art restorer or something, something like that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I basically went to, went to my bosses to Robert and Matthew and said, look, I need a job. And I would really like to do this. I really think this could be my calling. But if you guys can't do that, I'm going to go be a junior art restorer and try to do that. Um, so, so they ended up hiring me. Basically, uh, uh, yeah. Wow, um, that's cool. Yeah. Opportunity yeah. of a lifetime. Um, yeah, I'll put the link in the show notes to uh, Robert Sabuda's website. And Matthew Reinhardt has a, his own website, too. And... Uh, both amazing paper engineers. Yeah. So how long did you work there and what kind of projects did you work on? Yeah. So I was there um, probably full-time for about six years. And then uh, I was there part-time for about two years after that. And I I learned everything from Mm -hmm. that studio. Mm -hmm. Um, At the time they had the, they shared the studio together. And so we had about six of us there Mm -hmm. total and it was great. We were just a, a well-oiled machine that could really create a lot of large-scale kind of maximalist pop-up books. And uh, from them, I really learned a lot of just the concepts of paper engineering, for sure, but then also real concepts of storytelling through paper mechanics, how to do narrative, how to really uh, create something larger mm-hmm. out of these paper forms. And, and really, you know, what works, how to tell a story through a whole book, you know, how to really say like, okay, you want on page one, you just need to totally wow them mm-hmm. on the last page. You really need to kind of bring, you know, bring something else to it. You know, the middle can be quieter. And so really trying to, to create an overall kind of story arc with, with a book, right. which is something I've, I've definitely tried to keep in, in my work is a lot of the teachings that they, they taught me. Yeah, and I imagine you learned all about the equipment and producing work overseas and, yeah, just all yeah. the ins and outs of paper engineering. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And so there definitely was that as well, was the, um, aside from just the engineering components, just uh, how publishing and production and everything works. And, and you know, at the time, um, it was... Uh, you know, I was the the junior person, so they would they would send me to um, on production on some of their projects that were printed overseas. Oh. They they said, okay, we'll send the the you know young person who knows knows understands the book and and you know we're like we did a Star Wars book a book with um, Lucas Films and you know I was the junior person on there. I was just cutting up paper and stuff. I wasn't really engineering too much, but um, on on a project that large where there's you know they're printing. 10,000, 50,000 copies of this book because it's a licensed property. Um, they send, they would send somebody overseas to kind of just make sure that the, the production was going well. And I would speak to a paper engineer at their factory and we would kind of troubleshoot and make sure that everything was going right just, just because the quantity was so high. Um, right. So I did end up going to China, Thailand, Laos. Um, you know, my passport was very, very uh-huh. full for somebody, you know, who's, who's pretty young. So that was, that was a great opportunity. And, and from, and from that, I really did learn like to make sure that, to understand that anything you make, if you mass produce it, someone else is on the other end reproducing the thing you make. And, and so in all of my design work and when I teach students, I always make sure like whatever you do, understand that other people's hands are going to be on something. You, if you're fortunate enough to have some, to create something, that is going to have other people's hands on it. Make it easy to make. Right. You know, don't don't make something that is needlessly complicated, and don't you know make something with 
every person in mind. Yeah. Was there, did anything happen on any of those trips overseas that you had to like troubleshoot or call the boss or? Um, there was definitely like, um, I think by that point I would know the oh, ins right. and out of a, yeah. of a book so well. Um, usually, so usually the books that, that we're talking about, they're usually about five or six large pages and then lots of little um, spreads, little side flaps side pops mm-hmm. and side flaps everywhere. It's usually about 20 to 30 pop-ups of some kind on these bigger books. Um, and by the, by the time I'm going to to a factory to look at them, I, I just know it so well. I can look at any piece and say, oh, that's the arm on that piece on that guy. Right. So um, usually the idea is that you wouldn't, you wouldn't run into any issues. Um, but every now and then there's always going to be something like, oh, if we, we got to do this. We got to cut that or correct that. Um, right. I did have, I did have one project. We did have one project where, uh, we went over, uh, someone went overseas and then, um, it was working well. And then when it got to the U S they had kind of glued some of the pages just together. So one of the pages just didn't, couldn't open mm. like page three on a, on a lot of books. Oh, and wow. so me and another, another young paper engineer at the studio at the time had to drive to a, a warehouse in Pencil- the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania and open up, you oh. know, I, I would say a thousand books uh, over, over the course of a day and just oh, say, wow. okay, what's working? What's not? What percent? It was, it was a very disheartening day. <laughs> oh gosh. So you picked out the good ones and then um, were, did more get produced to replace? Yeah. I think more got ones. produced yeah. to replace yeah. them. And, yeah. and we've just figured out, you know, it's, what palette of, you know, of like 20 <laughs> palettes, which palette of books were okay, taking samples and stuff, you know. Yeah, doing yeah, sample. yeah. It's that, yeah. that quality control. Um, I worked right out of college. I moved to New York after college and I worked mm-hmm. for a big commercial printing company. And part of my job was picking what we call the office copies, which went to the, like this, the salesperson from the printing company their client. So the person in the office where everything else was shipped to a warehouse and went out, you know, annual, annual reports and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember trying to find the like two perfect copies. It's like almost impossible. There's some little thing Mm -hmm. on every copy, but that's what you're describing as a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) And that's no, but that's also the nature of making something physical is there is going to be, it exists in the physical world. It is made Right. Sometimes on a rainy day, sometimes on a, you know, mm-hmm. snowing day. And that, that affects things in the physical world. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, so you I, mentioned, I, yeah, yeah. sorry. No, no, I just, so I, I try to just keep a lot of, um, give a lot of respect to things that are <laughs> like, to, that are, you know, if you put on a pair of pants, someone made those pants. You know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so you mentioned that you worked part-time. That was towards the end of your time at Sabuda and Reinhardt? So, yeah. Toward, toward, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm just curious how I know you run your own studio now. So how did that progression happen? Did you start getting your own jobs? And Yeah. So I, I started to, um, you know, and at, with Sabuda and Reinhardt, they were very nurturing. They were very good about, you know, don't, don't do things that directly compete with us, but but they were very nurturing if I, if I were doing these projects that they wouldn't have necessarily picked up. I, you know, they were like, do it, do it on your own time, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But they were, they were very helpful and they would, you know, they would critique my, you know, if I brought something in and said, what do you think about this? They would, they would give me their opinion and stuff. They were really open about that. Uh-huh. They've always been just really, really nurturing guys. And they're definitely my mentors for sure. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, around maybe I'd say 2016, um, I, you know, had a couple of good projects that were, uh, would have been, you know, freelance at the time for me. And it started to kind of eke into my, t- you know, I was, I was spending my whole nights and weekends and I was like, oh, yeah. I actually kind of need to, it would be great to have a Wednesday to work on this. Uh, so I ended up going part time with, with Robert Sabuto, uh, when I, where I was working with him and, uh, started to take on these projects and started to say, okay, you know, I can still pay my rent with, with a little bit of freelance right, and a little bit of right. this and that. And so I, I, I had a couple of good jobs. Uh, one was, um, I don't know if you know this movie, The Babadook. 
Oh, uh-huh. There's this Australian horror film, but um, they they asked me to, I randomly through a friend of a friend met met the cinematographer for that movie and they needed somebody to make a pop-up book of for this story. And uh-huh. I, the cinematographer was sleeping on my couch uh, on in, on route to go back to Australia to, to keep working on this movie. And he woke up in the morning and saw all these pop-up books on my bookshelf. So we got to talking and I said, oh yeah, I'm a paper engineer and this is what I do. And he's like, oh my gosh, we need a paper engineer. And so that was kind of my first uh. big project was, uh, was the Babadook. So wait, was he already looking for a paper engineer or did seeing the pop-up books make him think, oh, that would be a cool project? So they, no, so they had, um, they had been working on the movie. They had, they had been right. kind of, they, they had the concepts and they've been shooting it, but they wanted to make an actual f- physical working pop-up book to go with the movie right. because the ones, the ones in the movie were kind of um, more like props and puppets that they, Got it. you know, yeah. Uh, this this really great illustrator Alex Zhuhas, uh, who's in Canada, did the original kind of design of the Babadook. But then they realized at a certain point that, that he realized at a certain point that that his understanding of paper engineering could only go so far. Mm-hmm. So he and I ended up creating the the final version that that okay. exists. Okay. Okay. And now I know you studied illustration. Do you ever do the illustration for your pop up books? Yeah, so I, um, yeah, so I studied illustration at Pratt, and um, and I, and so a lot of times I will still do the illustration, and I'm happy to, and I love to, I love illustrating in any, you know, all all styles. I, I love the kind of mix and match, and and I don't, I have a couple styles that I'm, I'm really comfortable working with, but I also love, um, excuse me, uh figuring out new styles, playing with mm-hmm. new ideas. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm very open to that. And so it really just depends on the project. Right. Um, sometimes people will come and they'll already have a, an art style or an illustrator attached. Uh, for instance, the Stranger Things pop-up book that I, I just finished a couple months ago, there's a great um, illustrator who does all of the poster designs for the Stranger Things seasons. And I was able to work with him to do that. And, and that's great. Like he is just, you know, he is just way better at illustrating than me or most anyone else in the world. And so was really happy to work with him on that. Um, well, and we'll I be... imagine there's like the Stranger Things brand too. So he, it's exactly. probably, yeah, it has to kind of. Yeah, exactly. There's exactly, it's like a, there are brands and there's kind of visual style guides that people want to yeah. go with. Um, but then there's other projects where, where I'm, I end up illustrating and I, it's always fun. I'm happy to do it. Um, and so it really, it really just depends. I, ju- I just did a, a, a promotional piece for the Central Park Conservancy a mm-hmm. couple months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had their 40th anniversary gala and they wanted um, something to kind of put in gift baskets for people. And so um, they approached me and uh, they had set a book and I kind of talked with them and I said, well, you're a, you're a park, you're a physical place. Why don't we make it into a a park of a map of the of the park that kind of pops up and has these different things and so that i ended up illustrating i just you know took a lot of reference from the park and a lot of old maps like vintage maps and kind of synthesized those together and and ended up illustrating that one so let's actually i'd love to have you talk through that project and like you mentioned that they they came to you like how did they find you and then they had one concept but you kind of turned it into this map idea rather than a book like how does mm-hmm. that kind of happen yeah so different different people will 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 find me through different ways of mm-hmm. you know um there just aren't that many paper engineers right working in the world so people mm-hmm. find people find our names and uh through or through friends of friends just you know mm-hmm. people people find me um or sometimes if i if there's somebody that i think you know, I'm like, oh, I really think we could work together. You have a great thing going on. I'll, I will approach some people mm-hmm. sometimes. Um, but they they found me and they approached me, and so I I talked with them and they they said we need this and they they had a really quick turnaround time. Mm-hmm. So I think they only they had like about four months, which which is pretty fast. Mm, yeah. Um, but it's Central Park, so you say yes. And <laughs> yeah. You figure it out. Um, right. 
And so they said they want a book and maybe it showcased it. it they were kind of showcasing a couple of new buildings that had been renovated and a couple of things that they, they really wanted to showcase. And, and so I think they, they were very clear that they would need my help and my expertise throughout the process. Right. And, and so I told, you know, I, I, I kind of told them maybe, maybe a map would be a, just a better use of, of the project and of their space. And they were really receptive to that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so from there, just in my process, um, I, I, I always kind of start with, after the concept, I'll start with some just rough 2D sketches and drawings of what I'm thinking about. And that allows me to just make sure that everyone's on the same page, just because sometimes I'll speak and I'll speak in the vernacular that I'm, you know, in, in my, you know, paper engineering, this will do that, not full will do that, but that's not really useful every time. So mm-hmm. I'll draw something out so that mm-hmm. everyone can see it and you can pass it around in meetings and you can email it to people, just some sketch. So we're all on the same page. And once we kind of understood what we were doing, then I go back to my studio and I will make a rough mock-up. And so that's just cardstock, tape, scissors, exacto knife. Um, if I'm working with uh, illustration assets, if I'm working with things that already exist, but I'll sometimes print those out just in black and white just to have, you know, shapes of things in mind. Um, mm-hmm. But so then I, I just kind of work, uh, usually takes me about a week, maybe two weeks, depending on the size of the thing, but a week per spread to create uh, a rough mock-up based on the concept and on the sketches. And so with that, then I'll, I'll show that to the publisher to, in this case, it was to the people at Central Park and, and kind of, they can handle it. They can see it. And I'll say, you know, it's, it's, it's tape and cardstock. It's not, you know, the exact working thing, but this is generally what we're looking at. And so with them, they were, um, they liked it. They're really receptive. And, and I think they also understood that we were in a really time crunch. Uh, you know, four months is pretty quick to go from idea to in people's hands and goodie bags at a gala. So they, they were really receptive to kind of letting me spearhead this. Um, yeah. So then from, sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I was just going to, I think you were going to go into how it was produced. Like, did you have the contacts for that or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the actual production and how many? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I because it was it was so quick and it was a small run. I think they wanted about I think they wanted five hundred, mm-hmm. um, and that would have been about three hundred. You know, I think it was maybe four hundred for their gala and then a hundred to kind of have and to use. Yeah. Um, and so I usually on a bigger project, I would I would. Um, I could reach out to a, a couple of different printers, but in this case, because of the timeline, because of the quantity, I knew that it would maybe be better to work with a domestic printer. So I spoke with a company called Structural Graphics in Connecticut, mm-hmm. and they do a lot of advertisement. They do a lot of um, emotional work and smaller quantities. And, right. and, and so I was able to speak with them and say, I've got this project and it'll be a quick turnaround time, but what do you think? And so they worked with the, you know, Central Park to make sure that it could could work in their time frame. Um, and they were able to produce they were able to produce it based on on my, you know, um, I guess we're jumping around a bit, but based on my die lines, based on what I what I then create, you know, I've made a rough mock up. I, I then uh, take that rough mock up apart piece by piece. I scan every piece and I make tracings of it and uh, make every individual piece, draw, put some art on that. And that's when I start to make like a, a color mock-up that then the, the printer can reproduce. In right. A and so, yeah, it is in a nutshell, but so then flat sheets are printed mm-hmm. and then the pieces are cut out die cut at that scale. Uh, yeah. At that scale, I believe that. I think they were still die cut. Um, and then and so, yeah. are they hand assembled? They were hand assembled yeah. somewhere in the States. So, mm-hmm. so they are hand assembled. So what, so what ends up happening once it, once it's handed over to the printer, like you said, yeah, they, they print them out on these large uh, running sheets within the, in the cardstock that we're using mm-hmm. um, the front and back every, like, so the art is all printed and then it's cut afterwards. And then um, 
each piece is kind of cut out and so there are all these individual pieces and they're hand assembled um, at their facility in the state. Yeah. I think it's yeah. in Texas. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, and, uh, uh, I'll put a link to this project on your website great, so that you. people can look yeah. at it. Yeah. 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 That was one that was kind of, it was funny because I, I was really proud of that project. You know, it was, a, it was in the pandemic. So I really didn't need that project. Um, and I was really proud of it, but then all of a sudden only, um, you know, only 500 people have a, or, you know, only a few people have a copy of it. And so there's, uh, it, it's just, I don't know. It's funny. Some, some things kind of are able to, to, be experienced in a larger scale and then other things yeah. are, are more exclusive. Right, right. I get that. Yeah. And I remember you talking about that at the Movable Book Society conference in Denver. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um okay, well so you do all kinds of projects now and and you are just on your own now. What's your studio name? Do you have a name? Uh, I don't have a your, studio. It's your name. name? I should have a studio. It's your name. It's my name. Simon <laughs> yeah. Reese Studio, yeah. That's what um, I'm Helen Hebert studio. That's fine. Yeah, it, uh, it works. You know. <laughs> um, I think if you have, yeah, it's one of, maybe if you have more people, if we had more people like, or, uh, you know, we could, right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, I was thinking at East, I was thinking at East Bay studio, but uh, my last name is so hard to pronounce that I don't want, I don't want somebody not calling me because they don't know how to pronounce my last right, name. Right. Right. Hey listeners, let's take a little break here. And I want to tell you about the paper year my annual subscription club, kind of like a year-long online class, featuring a new paper project every month. Get inspired with video and written project instructions designed to spark ideas that keep you creating for the rest of the month. Explore creative paper techniques, including origami, pop-ups, paper weaving, book arts, paper cutting, paper stitching, and more. And join our growing community of paper lovers online to learn and share in a warm, encouraging, supportive, creative community. Visit HelenHebertStudio.com to find out more. Registration will be open again from December 15th, 2022 until January 15th, 2023. So you, you do book projects, promotional projects like the Central Park Conservancy you just described conservancy and your own projects i'd love to hear a little bit about um a book project or a couple book projects so you you told me that houseplants was your favorite book project tell me about that. yeah so so houseplants was a a project i did that was that was a collaboration as well um Mm -hmm. so i was approached by um the aperture foundation which is a, a photo foundation um in new york city and they they're working with a um, a photographer named Daniel Gordon, who his work is really interesting. He he kind of takes a lot of um, found images from the internet, just from Google image search, and he'll print them out and kind of arrange these collages of of objects, uh, sort of in a cubist way. He'll he'll take wow. you know ten, ten different images of a vase, glue them together, make this sculpture, and then his kind of final art piece is a photo of that sculpture. Okay. So it's, it's a very deconstructed uh, world that he's creating. Mm-hmm. Um, so he and, he and I teamed up and we ended up working on this this project, I think in 2019. Uh, uh, we just wanted to work, you know, the, the publisher kind of put us together and said, you know, Daniel wants to do this and you're a paper engineer and we love your work and let's see what happens. And so he and I got together and ended up deciding to, you know, you need to rein in somewhere and, and put some some boundaries and some lines on some things. So we kind of decided on houseplants. Um, mm-hmm. He had done some photos of houseplants. And, and you know, as I said, I, I love kind of nature yeah. and plants in the world, yeah. uh, that world. So um, we decided on houseplants and and just ended up doing the, it's a, it's a limited art book of, um, of uh, I think it's, it's six, six different houseplants. So every spread is a single, a single kind of house plant living living in its own little universe um and really just kind of trying to play around with on my end i was trying to play around with the form of what can i do with such a limited scope of of just this, this one object and how do you make sure that each one is interesting and different even though right. technically they're all house plants and pots and i think for for on danny on his end on daniel the the, the artist um 
he was playing around, yeah, with, with how do you make all these unusual shapes and these unusual colors. And, and we really just wanted to, you know, really play and make something, something unusual. Um, and I think, I think for me, the reason I think that was probably one of my favorite projects is, is where a lot of my work is, is, is kind of publishing world and advertising world. And the things are very quick turnaround times. And there, there is room for love and design and process. Um, a lot of times there's just, it's just like, there's a deadline and we got to meet it. And right. this thing is in this, this date. And, and here I felt like there really was a real appreciation for for art, I don't, uh-huh. I don't know if, if that makes sense, but I, you know, yeah. I, I think at the end of the day, I, I can be a commercial artist a lot of times. It was really fun to hang out with with Danny and uh, the editor Denise Wolf, and we would just sit around, drink coffee, and really talk about like, oh, does this snake plant need to go first, and then this, you know, crown mm-hmm. of thorns? What does that say, and what does that do? And so it was really uh, inspiring, but it was really. Um, you know, really scratch that itch of, of kind of being able to just critique your work and really yeah. sit with your work. Yeah. Um, so I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And I think something unique about that book, isn't it that um, the pop-ups are really tall? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, so I really surprising tried surprising how you get height within the pages. Yeah. Yeah. So I really, I really tried to, on my end, not compromise on like, just be, just because it's kind of, a simpler concept. I, I really still wanted to make sure that every every page was surprising and big, and, and so I really, in that book, yeah, I perfected, tried to really perfect this this mechanism that kind of lets you double the size of the page of what you're looking at. Um, yeah, that's cool. And there's a video on your website, right? I think there's, yeah, yeah, there's a video. Yeah. There's a video of that of that one as well. And um, um, that one, no text, or is there any text? There's not really any text. Yeah. We really mm-hmm. we thought about text. We thought about naming mm-hmm. the plants, but it's really not. It's not a taxonomy, you know. It really, you know, and, yeah, and a lot of the, yeah. a lot of them with his artwork, he uh, he'll really change the color. So things that would be green are now blacks and purples and and really unusual colors. And so yeah, we really just wanted to make this really strange, simple yeah. book. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so the Aperture Foundation sells it i think there's still copies in print is that yeah, yeah. there's still copies in print mm-hmm. um i think it's a, a limited run and it's it's not an artist book i suppose in the, in the traditional sense of it you know so i yeah, apologize but it's um it is uh yeah there's still there's still some copies in print mm-hmm. and it's yeah it's this it's, it's kind of small thing and I, I i kind of love yeah love that about about it yeah 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 and you mentioned the six spreads a couple of times i think there's like a mm-hmm. formula for pop-up books is that right like are most I, of them I, a certain i think most spreads? are most most are about six sometimes they're 10 if you um it really depends on the the, the project but i think yeah. the 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 kind of books we're talking about are just so um kind of uh over the top just they're, they're kind of they can become big and bulky and, and suddenly you're, you're just not you aren't able to handle it because it suddenly has depth and width and um becomes really cumbersome to, to just interact with. There's another uh, paper engineer that, that I think you and I both know, Kelly Anderson. Mm-hmm. And he, I remember one time he described my work as maximalist. Uh-huh. And I, I had never heard it put quite so succinctly. And I was, I was like, oh, yeah, I guess it is kind of like everything is to the edges. And like, I don't think I need to always do that. I could, I could be uh-huh. more subtle, you know? Like, so, <laughs> oh, so yeah, a lot, cool. of, a lot of that's cool. Yeah. 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 Yeah, So what about the production on that book? So that was a limited edition. Was that Mm -hmm. produced in the States or overseas or? Uh, That one was produced overseas as well. Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. There really are just like uh, a handful of companies that really have the capacity and the the knowledge to produce these. And so, um, yeah, this this Sierra Vatana is the name of this printer in Thailand and they're Mm -hmm. fantastic. And I've worked with them for, over a decade now and, and they just create good work. Yeah. Um, and so I worked with the production company. Aperture has a production department. They're, they're a, you know, independent publisher, but they, they do have a production department. And uh-huh. so um, I think I, you know, uh, I think I helped them, them get through it. I think when they first got the first proof sheet of just pieces of 
plants everywhere and they're like they don't really know what they're looking at and they're, right. they're kind of you know so I think they you know they're a little confused but uh would you know go in and chat with them and, and kind of work with them on that but they, their their production department is amazing I'm just generally and figured out how to make it a great book and yeah 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 um, and I'd asked you over email what one of your hardest book projects was. So I'm curious to hear what was hard about Zahak, the legend of the Serpent King. So, yeah. So Zahak uh, was one of the other, like one of the other earliest books that I, I really did on my own. It was uh-huh. after the Babadook. And um, I was working with an illustrator named uh, Hamid Rahmanian. He's an Iranian artist, Iranian American artist. And he, uh, he a lot of his work is taking Iranian miniature paintings and mm-hmm. scanning them in and and really just kind of using Photoshop to make just things look very different, very contemporary art forms with these ancient uh, Persian and Iranian art. Mm-hmm. And like I've never just seen anybody whose art form is Photoshop in quite such a distinct way. like it's it's not even just digital painting. He is truly just like manipulating things in a really beautiful way. Um, but I think that that project was really hard because, you know, I think that the the artwork demands a level of respect. It's these ancient things mm-hmm. and they're very intricate. Every, you know, everything is a dragon or a monster and they all have flames and movements and, and things. And so so for me, uh, especially because I, I was kind of new to to freelancing and to kind of understanding what 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 time things would take and, and what complexities mm. are required of things. I, I think I bit off a lot uh-huh. and I, I yeah. you know, um, and so, and, and, and Hamid and I are very passionate, meticulous people in our own rights about our own art. So I think the collaboration between us while really good is also very heated. Like I've never, uh, um, yeah argued so much for art with somebody uh, good and bad. You know what I mean? Like, I think, I think yeah. we, we both work well together and that we make interesting things, but, it, but in the process, it's definitely a boiling. There's a, there's, you know, so yeah, I would say that was probably my hardest, hardest project was, was working on that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that book was a winner of the Megendorfer prize, right? Yes. Yes. Which it is was. Uh, the movable book society every two years honors paper engineers for the best paper engineering works in the past couple of yeah. years. So congratulations on that. Yeah. Th- thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. So that was, that was a huge honor to to receive that. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, we really put a lot of work into that and, and I think it, it, it was very different looking than a lot of other uh, pop-ups. So I, I, yeah, I'm very honored to get that, to receive that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the papers you use. And I think mm-hmm. um, most paper engineers, it's it's a simple, simple palette of papers. But um, yeah, tell me a little bit about how you yeah, definitely. construct and what paper you're using. Yeah, definitely. So um, I think with a lot of uh, paper engineer, at least this is how I can speak to um, the way I was, I was taught and the way I kind of work is um, we do use pretty simple papers. Um, personally, I use uh, Nina paper, um, which is a, a company. I think they're in the U S yeah. In the Midwest. I, thought, I, think, they're in the Midwest. I think they're in the Midwest. Yeah. They're in the Midwest. Um, so I work with them. Uh, I work with their paper. I just, I just think it's very good and smooth and, and easy to use. Um, but I, I work with 110 cardstock. I kind of, I don't really work with a strong specific cardstock because if something is getting mass produced and it's getting mass produced sometimes in different countries with different, and they'll have just different papers that they use, like Thailand paper looks and feels a little different than American paper, than Chinese right. paper, than Mexican paper. And so um, I don't ever know that. And I don't ever know if, you know, if something has like more, uh, print runs if, if there's a second printing or a third printing you know hopefully hopefully projects have that I don't think any of my projects have that yet but um, if if they go through different different printings and in different countries like I'm not going to know what the paper quality is going to be uh-huh. and so for me I kind of um, 
go with the lowest common denominator paper that will work. So I'm I'm working with 110 cardstock, which isn't isn't that strong. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's probably the, the bare minimum. It's above the 90, uh, but but it's, it's a really kind of thin cardstock because when I'm engineering, I I know that it will work, and right. I'll, I'll know okay, I need to double this piece. I need to change this thing to make sure that the structure works in the worst of conditions. And if if a if a client or somebody is like, oh no, we want we want this much stronger, fancier cardstock, great, it'll definitely still work. But I'm I'm hedging my bets that we want the worst cardstock on a rainy day. Okay, so are you saying then you you send a prototype and the factory figures out what paper? Or do they just have um, a stock paper they use? I will. So um, I will send a prototype and they will oftentimes have, have maybe a stock uh, paper that they will use. Um, I can definitely ask for different papers or different um, finishes. So sometimes it'll be, sometimes uh, the client will want like a glossy finish and, or a, a specific stock and I'm happy I'm happy to use that um mm-hmm. but on the whole I I just find it's really hard to um I have I've found trouble with confirming that sometimes the papers that are shown in the samples are the same ones that show up on the end at the, at the end product and so I um don't ever assume that I have that much control over the paper right okay but you do get to see and make sure that all the pop-ups work and function yeah. So has I, that ever been an issue when you're already at yeah. the point that it didn't work and something had to happen? You mentioned doubling up. Yeah. So and and a lot of times I'll double up like before, like on my end, I'll just I'll just know that something is needs something is gonna like that all of the strength is coming from one spot and so it just ma- it's gonna make sense to double or even triple a section of the pop because everything else all the other strength will need to radiate out from there. Right. And so, um, so on my end, I, I can definitely ask for, um, I will, I'll definitely always ask for samples of the paper and, and, and work with them, um, to, to create the paper that, that makes the most sense for the project. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I guess what with, with the samples, so I, I'll send them, you know, a, a, a sample of the, the, like a, a mock-up that I've made based on my die lines and they'll send me something back um usually just a, a white version just all paper so that and that allows me to take a look at just the just the engineering and make sure everything is kind of assembled in the correct way and make sure the card the stock is the stock we all agreed on and and yeah just lets me me affirm all of those things and then as we go through the process then they receive the art from either me or the artist, um, and then I'll see a, a color mock-up, or maybe depending on the size of the project, several color mock-ups right. just to, just to understand. Okay, this is what you know. All the art is in place. Everyone's heads and faces are in the right direction. You know, the yeah. the text is legible. Yeah. I've never seen. I'm just curious what the assembly instructions look like. Like, how do you how do you communicate that? from yeah. a flat sheet of printed paper die cut pieces to mm-hmm. this goes here this is three layers thick this is yeah yeah so a lot of times they'll have a a working mock-up with them so that they can kind of look at that and say oh this is where that is, is where that is um and a lot of times when i when i work i'm cognizant of of the fact that someone else is going to need to decode what right. I'm making. And so a lot of the pieces that I make will have kind of what what's called key-ins that the, you know, if there's a, a strengthener piece that needs to go behind a, a main piece, it, it is pretty much the exact same shape as that first piece, give or take a, a, you know, a couple millimeters so that it's very clear, Oh, this piece goes on top of that and those work together. So I, I try to make it really as obvious as possible. Um, Sometimes on really, really complicated projects, um, they'll print out, you know, maybe like a little tiny number next to each piece just to say like one, you know, tab number one goes into slot number one. Right. Tab number seven goes into slot number. If, if they're really complicated, mm-hmm. um, 
but even that, the, the older I'm getting, the, the less I'm interested in, in making something that would require, you know, 14 little <sighs> tabs for some person to have. To, I'm just like, if I have, if we're doing that, maybe I can figure out a way to make this all three pieces instead of 14 pieces or something. Yeah, I love that you say that because I think, yeah, there is something beautiful about simplicity and design. So yeah, if you can figure out an even simpler way to do it and still get the look you want. That's uh, really, I think so. I think so. Yeah. I think, I think that there, and there's always beauty in, in there's beauty and complication for sure. But, but when you're actually making something, simplicity can be so beautiful. Some of the best pop-up books can have a lot of, can be a lot can be said with just very simple Mm -hmm. movements and motions Mm -hmm. and, and effects. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we haven't really touched on how you work, like from your hand to the computer. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned with the Central Park Conservancy that you did illustration sketches that you showed them. Were those done by hand or were they on the computer? Yes. I'm like pretty old school when yeah. it comes to illustration and kind of everything if I'm being honest like everything mm-hmm. does go through the computer at some point but um, right. I do all my illustrations with like a number two pencil by hand mm-hmm. um I, you know sometimes I'll do like a, a very rough sketch um like my, my illustration style basically is like I will get a ballpoint pen um and just just draw out something really sketched out um and just really freeform and then I'll put a piece of tracing paper or um, vellum over it and, and do a cleaner sketch uh-huh. um, in pencil or in like the micron. Uh, it's just, I don't know. I'm I'm sure if I got like a Cintiq or a stylus, maybe my life would be like a third quicker or something. But, uh, you know, I just, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> I love that. And then you're making your models by hand as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm public. making my models by hand. Um, people always ask me, is there like a robot or is there a, a computer program that I put input? Like I need a central park pop-up that, that tells me what to do, but it's, it's really just, you know, by hand. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I, so with the central park, for example, um, once I, I had a rough, mock-up that kind of showed okay this is where things will be i ended up drawing on that to to let them know you know this is the north side this is the south side here is bethesda fountain here's you know everything you're you're looking for because you know i'm dealing with this group of people who aren't if it who aren't going to know what they're looking at unless i really draw it out for them and so so i have those sketch these very roughed out sketches on this very rough pop-up that has you know it it's that rough version has you know six, sometimes it's five or six layers of cardstock you know cut over as I sculpt the shapes into the shapes that I want um, and uh, and from that then I I as I take it all apart I see okay well this is where that grove of trees is this is where Bannerman Castle is and I can start to take it apart and put the illustration on on that and I have those little sketches that help me understand where to illustrate and how to illustrate. Right. And it must be also like putting a puzzle together. What goes where, you know, the big parent sheet size from the printer and all of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's this weird puzzle that like me and three other people are going to have to figure out um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how to put back together. Right. Do you have any kind of cutting tool in your studio? Like a I do have electric. I do, yeah. yeah. I do have a craft robo that um, another paper engineer gave me, uh-huh. and I use it, and I like it when I use it. But um, honestly, I'm sometimes just quicker at uh, just cutting out by hand. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think it makes sense. I think it's a great tool, but I, I'm just not that great with it. Like it's, it's a older version. It's pretty finicky, and so if I met if I met a deadline, I just cut it out by hand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I noticed on Instagram yesterday, you posted, I think it was yesterday, maybe it was a couple of days mm-hmm. ago, uh, cutting these circles like a bicycle wheel, or I didn't catch exactly yeah. what it was, but yeah. I, I noticed you were doing it by hand. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I really, I really think if I, if I, you know, thought about it harder or had a, 
you know, maybe a tech savvy intern could could help me. <laughs> but I'm, no, I'm, I am totally the same. It takes me so long to figure out how to get it through the computer and out of the cutting machine that I'm just could do it faster mm-hmm. by hand. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so what I, you- and I also I I enjoy that I I enjoy yeah. the um the low the, the low grade the low grade handwork of it mm-hmm. the low lo fi handwork of it you know I think it's, yeah me too it's pretty meditative yeah. it'll yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah 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 cool um what are you working on now a personal project and I'm curious about your personal projects whether you sometimes mm-hmm. I know there's some limitations in a commercial project it could be time mm-hmm. it could be money. Uh, what the client wants, whether you kind of have uh, paper engineering ideas that are bubbling up in you that you bring into your personal yeah. projects, or yeah, no, I think I think from from me, I've, I've definitely I when I when I went freelance a couple of years ago, I, I definitely like hit the ground running of just like let me find all the freelance projects and take it, you know, which has been re- really nice and it has allowed me to you know keep the lights on, mm-hmm. but um, it it's been exciting to start saying okay maybe i have a minute to step back and start to um to work on some other projects and some other ideas um and so one thing i am working on right now which uh hasn't really come to isn't really is just still in the ideation process but um mm-hmm. it's just a book about the ocean just mm-hmm. a book about it's like kind of um you know like the give like a kind of giving tree style just the little story just looking at the ocean kind of from all perspectives and um really just allowing me to kind of use my my paper engineering to kind of play around with okay what what would a wave look like what would you know a big wave look like what would a a roaring sea look like what mm. what would a you know what what are the caves at the bottom of the ocean look like and and just you know making something yeah that is a little bit slower in the process but also yeah the story is just much slower than trying to you know promote or Sell right. something it's, it's a little more just a, a meditative thing so yeah that's what I'm working on right now um for myself uh-huh and so you mentioned it was in the ideation process does that mean it's just all in your head have you made any pop-ups um, so, yet or so illustrations the, yes I've made about I think I've done about half of it uh, okay. I, want, I want to do this one I would actually want to do about 10 to 12 pages but they would the pages themselves would be a lot um not simpler, but a lot, lot, lot you know, there's not going to be side flaps and, and all sorts mm-hmm. of kind of larger storytelling devices. It would be kind of one or two kind of movements on a page. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe similar to the houseplants book where it mm-hmm. is, you know, how do you distill things down rather than kind of tell the biggest, most story you can. Right. Um, yeah. So I think um, that's, that's, that's what I'm working on, on just on my downtime. And I'm, I'm really, enjoying that and excited and and then i'll see where that goes you know i'm i might once it's finished i'll i will take it around to publishers and say you know here's some other books i've done that have done well why don't you try this book and and you know it just depends they might look at it and say this is quiet and slow and you know they, they might not feel it and that's fine and um you know in that case i'd, I'd probably do a kickstarter or do a crowdfunding mm-hmm. or something um i've had a little bit of success with that and so I don't know. The- yeah, I love that because um, not having the time constraint, something might just happen, right? Along, yeah. Along this journey while you're making it, you might, someone might sleep on your couch again who like has a connection to the ocean. Yeah. Or, you know, it's just, yeah. Things tend to happen like that. So cool. Y- yeah. And I, and I, and I think as I've gotten a little, as I've gotten older and, and worked a little bit and, I, I won't be uh, insulted or take it personally if a publisher isn't mm-hmm. feeling this book. Like right. if they're, they're a publisher and they're, they're, they know what's good for them to publish. And so. Right. Right. So when you, I feel like, yeah, I, 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 as I'm getting a little old, I'm getting, trying to get better at this and just understanding that a lot of times rejection is not a personal thing. It's, it's just that. Right. No, it's, it's totally someone not. else on the other end. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love what you're saying about the publisher knowing what will sell, really. So if mm-hmm. they, you know, if they publish books about something else, not that you would be contacting a publisher that didn't publish something along that line, but but they have experience and they know what they can sell and what they can't. And you have to, it has to be a match. And that's wonderful. Yeah, I, I, 
I think so. Yeah. And it's not a personal rejection. That's absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I think that, that, that helps me, that helps me in my creative process to just mm-hmm. say, okay, make what you think you need to make and make what is kind of, you know, for in your heart, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, don't, don't, don't think too hard about the audience. Right. While you're still in the design process. Yeah. 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 I love it. I love it. Um, I wanted to just touch on two other things. So I know you've done some residencies. Uh, yeah. I see you post about those on Instagram. And is that where you can kind of go into these thinking about the ocean project and things like that? Yeah. So I've been fortunate to do just a couple residencies and um, uh, a lot of, I'll talk to, you know, friends of mine and they don't maybe understand what a residency is sometimes uh-huh. and they're, um, and they're all different, you know, yeah. um, and, uh, you know, sometimes they give you a little stipend. Sometimes they just say, here's a, here's a room to, to mm-hmm. work in and they're all different, but I, I just find that it, it's a nice, uh, a nice, uh, you know, aspect of, of being an artist is you are able to say, you know, I've got an idea and I want to, I want to take some time and focus on it and work on it. And so, um, I will apply for these residencies and, um, you know, it's fun to just take a week, you know, take a week, try not to work on other work. And, and, and you say, okay, I've, I'm kind of committing to my own time. And yeah. so, yeah, la- last November, actually, I, w- I was at a residency um, called the Spruceton Inn, which is this little lodge uh, in the Catskills. Mm. And um, at the end of their season, they just, they uh, have a call for submissions for residents to, um, to just, go hang out and they, they say, we don't, you know, we don't need you to make something. You can just rest. If you just want to go on walks in the forest, like we're not asking anything of you. Um, but they also say, here's a desk and a window and go for it. And so there, that was where I was actually able to produce a lot of work for the ocean book uh-huh. that I'm working on. It was just, I had nothing to do. It was like 30 degrees in the morning and I would just mm. sit around and, and, and kind of think about, think about what I'd been, been, been on my mind for, for months. And so that, yeah, I, f- I find those, you know, when you when you get the opportunity to do a residency, it can be really fun to just be out of your normal routine. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Um, and then um, I love this uh, recommendation you had, the Song Explorer, Exploder, Song Exploder podcast. Tell me about Song that. Song Exploder, yeah. Um, I was listen- I think I started listening to it in the pandemic um, when I was working, just trying to, I'd been reading too many intense books in lockdown and I was like, I need something that's a little, a little less intense. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, it's just this great podcast and they, they interview different musicians of all different genres and, and ask them to just take one song and say, how did you get there? What was the process? What was, what did you, what was going on at the time? You know, how are your bandmates and stuff? And you, you get these just such different creative processes mm-hmm. from different people. Um, and, you know, you get suddenly Solange is telling you about this piano that she used, there's this horrible piano in this bar and she, you know, wrote this, this song on it and she had meant it to be just like a, a placeholder. And then she could never find another piano that sounded quite as mm-hmm. bad and good, as you know, and so she loves it. And, you know, you have Lindsay Buckingham talking about Fleetwood Mac and, and just different people just really talking about their creative process. And in that, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a sound guy. I don't, couldn't sing a tune for it to save my life, but you hear these people talking about colors and talking about really just other synesthetic like feelings in their music. And so I found it really inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Wonderful. Um, well, Simon, thank you so much for coming on the show. Tell us where we can find you online. Uh, yeah, so you can find me. My website is uh, simonarispe.com. Um, if you don't know how to spell my last name, it's A-R-I-Z-P-E. Uh, and usually my work is pretty up to date on there. And then on Instagram, I'm posting just different different projects and stuff, um, different things I'm working on and cutting out. Awesome. And I forgot, there's one other thing I wanted to talk to you about, which is yeah, please. you mentioned that you are starting to experiment with other papers like Tyvek and watercolor paper. Tell me yeah. a little bit about that. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm always trying to just mess with this form. I think I've, mm-hmm. um, I've, uh, 
you know, I, I love cardstock. I love what it does. I, I am always happy to play with, you know, tolerances of, of an eighth of an inch or whatever I'm looking at. But I, I would love to start um, playing with almost like on the level of sewing. Like I, I think that like, like fabric, like, you, you know, moving towards a fabric or, or a thicker paper that, you know, like a what, like a, a, you know, a three, if you put three watercolor papers together, what would that do if you just had this kind of board book? things so yeah i think starting to play with tolerances and strength and so i yeah i would love to just kind of go to go to the tyvek factory and uh-huh. see, see you know see what's the biggest thing i can make with that um and see if something comes out of it you know kind of doing things without any yeah specific plan in mind and you know i'm a I'm a paper maker, so I can make paper I do myself. Know and I would yeah. love to have someone like you come and work in my studio and, yeah, show you how you can, like, embed string in the paper and then have these ends of string that you can do things with. Or, yeah, there's just I'm, so many possibilities. It would be really cool I mean, to collaborate. Yeah. No, I think so, because I think you're looking at it from, as a paper maker, you're just looking at it from such a different point of view where you're like i can you know what you think of as paper is is just so so fundamentally different because it's coming from such a chemical and process area yeah but, yeah and i just yeah. see the paper engineers yeah you're i love that you're exploring going into watercolor and tyvek and it just seems like it's just um yeah cardstock 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 but it is car- it's all yeah, it's all card but stuff. that makes sense from a commercial perspective and publishing and producing but, but, it's, um, but it's there limiting. could be some really interesting uh, it would no, be I limited think... edition but p- yeah potential. but I, I, yeah but i think i think i think no i think you're right i think our a lot of the the commercial paper engineers are we have a very limited scope of what paper is mm-hmm. and i think that i think that you and other paper makers are coming at it from just such a a unique perspective that we could probably learn from. Yeah. I don't know what the format for that is, but uh, yeah, yeah, we'll have to continue. The maybe, maybe, a, maybe a, res- maybe a residency. Maybe we, yeah. we, we do a combined residency. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing your uh, journey with paper with us. Definitely. It was a pleasure. Hey, paper friends, did you know that I write a weekly blog called The Sunday Paper featuring stories of people doing exciting, innovative, and beautiful things with paper? Sign up at HelenHebertStudio.com slash blog. I'm also creating a lot of content over here, and the best way to stay up to date is to join my newsletter list to learn about free tutorials, online classes, workshops, and the annual Redcliffe Paper Retreat, which takes place right here at Helen Hebert Studio. You can find out more at HelenHebertStudio.com. This wraps up our episode, and if you enjoyed the show, I'd appreciate it if you could leave a review over on iTunes. This helps others find out about the podcast. Special thanks to Gary A. Hansen for the sound editing and Peter Thomas for the music. Visit HelenHebertStudio.com and click on Podcast, where you can find out more about these guys, subscribe to this series via iTunes, and listen to other episodes and access all of the archived shows. Talk to you soon. There's a reason, besides the season, the making paper.